listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. One of the juiciest questions we can ask ourselves as we're on the path is, what the hell am I doing here? Why am I here? <laughs> Creating a, an, a, a, a reflective component to our practice that allows us kind of in to depth. Allowing, in other words, for us to really kind of explore, okay, what the hell's going on? Why am, I, why am I doing this? What am I looking for? Gets to be really, really important. Uh, as an offshoot, why do I keep coming? Or why did I show up tonight? Or why? Being able to look at these questions, okay, as simple as they are, can really help support a deepening of our practice in kind of effortless ways. And so without answering me, I would, I would ask that very simple question of you, what brings you? What brings you here? You don't have to answer, but looking at that honestly becomes a gift. Just looking at the question, letting the question arise. If you've been coming for a while, what keeps you? What keeps you? So often we are afraid of, uh, as I've said before, our egos or separate self senses or our minds. I will use those interchangeably all the time. They will get involved in a way that's really, really quite amazing. They will keep showing up because something bigger than the ego is what's kind of in charge. And the ego kind of lets that bigger uh, element of who and what we are drive. And so it gets us, let's say, to this sangha or to another sangha or to another meditation group or something like that. And we are kind of thrust into that space. And then uh, what happens is we find that... Um, We find that we are enough vested in our practice egoically to not want to make mistakes. Does that make sense? I really wanted to make sure I said that <laughs> well, because I think what can happen is we, are, we get into this. We don't really know why, but damn it, we're here, and this feels right, even though it's not necessarily comfortable. I know something is happening here that's probably appropriate. And then the question arises, and then, like that, the ego says, don't ask, you're going to sound stupid. Come on. Just somebody else will ask. And this is perhaps the most important 
point. It is a pivot point in practice. An absolute pivot point in practice when the question arises, a deep one especially, question arises and then we stuff it because we don't want to appear dumb. And that element in us, that facet of this jewel of the self that keeps us from wanting to sound dumb or wanting to feel dumb or wanting to feel judged or whatever, that is precisely what will inhibit the unfolding of awakening every time. And so, what I would ask of each of us is to let that little internal judge be there, but let it stand off to the side. Let it yap all at once, but just let it be off to the side. Let something bigger kind of take over. Let that questioning occur. As much as I keep talking about how there's nothing really to get in this practice, there's not, you don't really have to get anything. It's more than anything about letting go. Or rather than learning, it's really about unlearning or learning to unlearn, so to speak. If those that are asking questions out of wanting to get something can study that impulse and the people that are not asking questions in order to avoid getting exposed, if they can take a deep look at that, then we're actually uh, putting the entire Sangha and each of us individually in a really, really cool space. And this is actually how Sangha can actually work. This is how Sangha can actually support depth in each other. This is how we become uh, an internal, I heard it referred to this way, I love this line, we become an alchemist. We begin to turn and transmute lead of experience into the gold of awakening when we actually can just kind of surrender. We can surrender that judge and actually allow it to stand off to the side, okay? We can surrender that little aspect of us that's always wanting to get and always wanting to talk and always wanting to actually let it get to the side. And we can find a middle space where we are just utterly available for opening to that space that is actually beyond the confines of ego, that's beyond the mind. And in that spacious place that's no longer no longer bound by mind. We're actually in this witnessing space that can witness the mind, that can allow the mind or the ego to be seen as an experience. When we go past that space that allows for everything to be seen, time itself, the passage of time, we actually are witnessing time. And as we start to witness the passage of time, just like we witness the ego, or we witness an event that's kind of sticky, kind of sticking to us, or we witness our resistance. What's witnessing is beyond all of those things. 
And so being able to rest in that open space of witnessing allows for this grand accident, this, this beautiful disaster of awakening to kind of start rattling us. And what do we awaken to? What we awaken to is hopefully, this is why, why we are here. It's hopefully why we show up. We are looking to know deeply, know our suffering and to know it so well that we actually witness the end of our suffering. Our suffering no longer sticks. The repetitive mental chatter no longer sticks. It's there. We feel it. But the feelings themselves no longer stick. We don't walk through the world with heaviness. Rather, we walk through the world with deep appreciation, wonder, heartfelt tenderness, and wisdom all in one. So tonight as we meditate, can you allow the inner critic to just take a rest? It's okay, hey, 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 it's okay, it's okay, just take a rest. I see you. As the seer, I see you. You're just fine. And we look at the inner greediness. We look at that inner greediness and we say, hey, 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 I see you. I'm the seer. I see you. You're just fine. But you're not in charge. Neither are you. And then in that space, there is only freedom. And they'll probably try to jump back in, but they've got, ah, ha, 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 see you. There you are. Love you. Mwah. They're right there. Oh, dad. You know. <laughs> but this really is, this is, this is fundamentally how the work works. This is how this stuff works. We create space and then come at life from that space. quote that keeps going through my head is from, I believe it's the Lotus Sutra. Uh, I, I have daddy brain, so I forget all sorts of stuff. I'll quote something that sounds really good and it's wrong, so forgive, but it's only a Buddha with a Buddha realizes enlightenment. Only a Buddha with a Buddha realizes enlightenment. Meaning, that we do this together, this work, whether it's Buddhism or contemplative Christianity 
or it's Vedanta Hinduism, or it's Kabbalah, or whatever. Whatever tradition we're looking at that actually takes us beyond faith, beyond mind, beyond the clinging, and into this place of surrender and openness, whatever version we're using, always demands that of us. It demands that there is a togetherness, okay? And uh, this was, at least for me, uh, as I started uh, my work as a seeker, uh, it reminded me so much when I first heard this, it reminded me so much of going to church and having the minister say, you know, in this hall of fellowship, we ask now that you shake hands with someone sitting near you. And I was like, I hate this bullshit. Hi, how are you? How are you? Oh, yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah. Oh, you know. <laughs> And I just hated it. I just hated it. Now, the fact that I hated it was, is pretty instructive. It's pretty instructive. The fact that I had so much resistance to that is pretty instructive because this is all about me. This is about my relationship to Christ. Screw all you. I don't care. It's about me. And you know what? That's a very natural tendency. It's a very natural tendency for us to be in a space where we begin to kind of personalize what is inherently impersonal. We tend to limit what is inherently expansive. So um, when, this, when I heard this, this line at, at a very, very early sitting that I went to, I remember thinking, oh God, here we go again. You know, because this after all is about my enlightenment. This is about me realizing. This is about me. And while on the one hand that's fairly helpful to any sitter, okay, to have that kind of fire, the fact that I was either born with or grew into an overabundance of that fire really got in the way. It meant that the entire experience was going to be egoic until a certain wall was hit at 120 miles an hour. And that's true for all of us. We can turn this work into all about me, or we can allow connectivity to be experienced so it's all about us. So we begin to see that us is them. I am you, and we are we, cuckoo cachoo or whatever. I mean, you know, <laughs> the lyric suddenly starts to make sense. John Lennon had it to a certain degree in, that, in the lyrics to I Am the Walrus. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? I am you and we are we and we are all together. Cuckoo, cachoo, you know, that, that whole thing. This becomes actually quite, quite real in a certain sense when we can begin to allow for an intimacy with others that we might not necessarily feel, feel comfortable with. The gift of Sangha is that it allows for us to have spiritual friends that we might not hang with every day. My sense is most of you are not going to go out to the Roundup Saloon together afterwards. Now, if you do, that's badass Dharma, but uh, I'm not paying, no. <laughs> but the idea here is that it's actually focused 
on a bizarrely common why. Why are we here? Well, we might not be able to put words to it too terribly well, but it informs something. That there is some reason, and that reason seems to be along the lines of peace. We're all looking for peace. And that a Buddha or awakened being, whatever your tradition, an awakened being only uncovers its awakening as it begins to meet others. That that awakening only ever occurs when wisdom meets compassion. That it's all about meeting. It's all about intimacy. It's about that dance. Just like if you look up at the cosmos, it's the black holes acting as the male partners in a ballroom with the women in their white dresses spinning. That's what we see. That's us. The same spin in the Milky Way as the spin we see in our DNA. It's the same math, all right here, all one thing, all the time, always now. So when we can kind of let those resistance patterns kind of go off to the side and the greed go off to the side. And I say greed because sometimes we meet someone that's like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Oh, God, just let me sit down, pastor, you know, whatever. There can also be someone you meet and you're like, oh, hey, bow, 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 and it's like, yeah, how you doing? You know, you can have that type of person too that runs into, that was weird. <laughs> but you, you get the idea, you know? Have you ever run into somebody where you're like, okay, you know? Well, instead of the typical reaction, which is <laughs> that type of thing, you know, going after, can you just be intimate with the fact that you have just been bowled over by somebody's presence? That's when a Buddha meets a Buddha. Can you just stand right in the fire with someone who is just spitting venom? They're sweating it. Can you just still be right with them? Wow. This allows, this allows for heart to come into practice. Okay? This is when tenderness, this is when tenderness begins to inform our wisdom. Because a wisdom that is not informed by tenderness becomes overbalanced, one-sided. A tenderness that is not counterbalanced by wisdom becomes kind of gushy and soft. Fusing those two things together in perfect balance allows for a slight tilt, an honoring, a salute to the God within each of us. And we do that together. Every time we bow to somebody, rather than, rather, rather than letting the bow creep you out, just allow for the bow to represent a salute to the God that we share equally. A salute to the infinite that actually allows each of us to be here. And in doing that, Guess what starts coming out of our experience? The answer to why. It starts coming out naturally. 
and it'll probably be different for each and every single person, but it'll be pushing us along a very, very similar path. This is really helpful. This is how, this is how we evolve together. This is how realization happens together. And it has nothing to do with kumbaya. There aren't many cliches you can throw onto this. It has to do with, I'm here, you're here. Let's light this thing up. And so my hope, my hope in just, I'm giving you kind of a brief talk tonight because I want you to talk to each other. But my hope tonight is that there is at least some capacity, some capacity for each of you to kind of allow the critic and to allow the greed, kind of stay off to the side just a little bit, just, a little, just for a little while, and see if you can actually meet, meet each other, either in silence or through words, but doing it really consciously, with care, with curiosity and kindness. because that creates a practice of balance. There's heart in that. There's consciousness, there's wisdom combined with a compassionate and tender heart in that space, in that arena, no matter what's going on. Big Tim. Go Giants, by the way. Go Giants. Tim, Tim and I are big fans. It's just he's a lot bigger. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, and you're hitting on why, I mean, they call it the three jewels in the Buddhist tradition for a reason. It's, you know, the, the Buddha or our highest self, the Dharma, which is truth or teaching, and then Sangha, which is the community. And the community, it all resonates within a community, either a community of cells or a community of lots of cells, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's, it, it, it is a way for us naturally to kind of extend ourselves into a very spacious, open place. Sanghas keep us honest. Sanghas keep us nourished. Sanghas keep us grounded. And Sanghas also give us the ability to fly, you know. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate, appreciate the comment. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Joanne. Yeah, the whole end of the suffering thing. You're looking for that? Yeah, as far as what I said, I got it. You'll get used to this. I have no clue what I said. So it's just, it's one of those things. Um, 
It's on the podcast, which will be up probably in a few weeks. <laughs> I, think, I think I said a lot of stuff. I just kind of opened my mouth and something comes out. But uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I think basically where I was going with that is that what we're doing is we're studying. We're getting curious about where we're locking up. And that curiosity, paradoxically, unlocks whatever is catching. So put another way is that whatever in us that is not just grace and ease is ego. And it's not that ego is bad. It's just that ego is this habitual mechanism that tends to kind of, it, it yells louder and therefore it is what is heard. Kind of like, you know, one of the laments that I've had about the media uh, in over the last 20 years, specifically in the last 10, is that he or she who is loudest gets heard, which isn't really helpful in the long term. It creates suffering. And it's the same thing within us. The voice that is loudest is the one that gets heard. And that voice might be the victim. It might be, you know, the, what is damaged. It might be uh, uh, the fixer. It might be any one of these facets to the ego, which is a jewel in and of itself. It's just a little bit dull compared to this radiant clarity that comes from being able to know, oh, small self is here. Small activity is here. Competitiveness is here. Uh, uh, um, separation, division, war, certitude, that's here. There's something bigger that sees that, and that which sees the war is free of war, is at peace, is liberated. And that's the teaching. That's at the core of pretty much all awakened teachings. And so when we can begin to witness our suffering and not run away from it, guess what? It no longer holds us like it used to. And there's freedom there. There's peace. And we start, we start not only just kind of getting glimpses of it, we start actually, it's like we become sopped with it, you know? And it's just a, you know, getting sopped with that Dharma rain is something that is, it's quite amazing. I think I said something like that, or, or not. <laughs> Leave me alone, jeez. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the question. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That uh, ego part of me that's been, that has suffered, has suffered, has been so loud recently, my ears are ringing. Um, it's been very, very difficult. And uh, I'm wondering what practice you might recommend. Yeah, okay, so I'm going to go right back to where I was. Yes, sir. Can you get curious? Hmm? Can you get curious yes, about all of that stuff that's happening? It's like, in other words, we have two reactions typically to a situation where we're on, you know, we're this close to overwhelm, you know what I'm talking about? When we're this close to overwhelm, you know, just, just we're right at the edge. The, the very obvious habitual tendency is for us to run 
is to get, get it away. You know, and we do that through any number of ways we could self-medicate. It might be through drink, it might be through uh, a drug, it might be through shopping, it might be through writing, it might be through you know, what, our therapist. We can become addicted to anything that gets us away from this, this alarm that kind of is sounding. We can't seem to hit snooze. Or rather, we keep hitting snooze, and it's like, ah, oh, did it. And it comes back, and we're like, why the hell, you know, unplug it. So how do we unplug it? Well, the unplugging occurs the minute we are actually in a space where instead of running from it, it's like, oh, wow. I'm not moving. I'm going to experience this totally. And I'm going to be right here. And we begin to recognize that that feeling of overwhelm comes up like a wave and then subsides. And comes up like a wave, and then, but we don't move. We're still right there being curious the whole time about the experience, right? Yeah. And we start recognizing just like through grief. I've talked about this a lot. Through grief, I've experienced grief as coming in these amazing waves. But it, it always, always gets less and less and less, the more attentive awareness, the more the, that clarity, that just white hot presence that we can bring into the situation arises, the more that those waves can't hit us like they used to. We're not running from them. We're not swimming away. We're diving into them and then kind of coming out on the other side effortlessly. And so my advice, the practice is to get very, very curious, very very still, especially when the heat starts really getting hot. Thank you, because of the teaching you gave, which was similar about fear a few weeks ago, I, I followed and I got very curious about my fears. And, and that's exactly what happened. I was so empowered, I guess is the only word. It was, it was beautiful to see some things I didn't even know um, wasn't really paying much attention to uh, would just become powerful and, and dissipate. Isn't that cool? It didn't occur to me to do that with this. And in many ways, this is louder because it's um, some very old stuff. That's when it gets fun. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I must be really close to something that's, you know, like Teresa said, you, you don't get more than you can handle, so I, I guess I can handle it. Well, I actually guarantee you, you can. But sometimes, yeah, it doesn't feel like that. Yeah, it doesn't. And you know what? It doesn't feel like you can handle it because what's happening is the ego's taking you into the future. Right? And so you're, you're handling it right now, aren't you? Always. These days. Are, are you handling it right now, too? Yeah. How about now? Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Got me? Got you, yes. Okay. So now let go of me. <laughs> <laughs> Hang in there. Thank you. Hang in there. You're not going to get anything you can't handle. Yes. None of us will. Ever. Ever. Yeah, Kath. How's it going? Michael, when you talk about being curious, is, is the curiosity something that you... 
meditation? Is it with journaling? Is it with just as you're going through your day? Or is it just paying attention and seeing in all of those situations? You pay attention in all situations. And when a situation arises, get curious about it, whether it's good, bad, or in, in between. That curiosity is basically a way of saying open presence. You cannot be curious about something without being open because you're in wonder, you're not in knowing, and you're not in getting, right? You're not in critique, you're not in greed, right? You're in huh, okay? And there's a certain innocence in that, wow, you know, that you can experience that allows for a lightness, an unbearable lightness of being <laughs> to be brought into wherever you are which is really, it, not to throw Kundera illusions around, but I think it's really cool. I mean, what basically what he was talking about in kind of a bastardized sense was kind of this, wow, look at all of this. And so when we can carry that, that, I keep referring to it as grace and ease, kind of into our situations, especially the tough ones, you know, we're in a much better place for openness. And in that openness, we become available to that crazy, marvelous disaster of awakening. Yeah? Give it a shot. And then can I add one more thing? When it's pleasurable, you need to have exactly the same amount of attention brought into it that you would as if it's ugly. Ugly's easy in some respects because it's like, you know, oh, wait, oh, yeah, the teaching is to, uh, okay, uh, watch, uh, oh, the waves are going down. Great, okay, all right, feel better. <laughs> and then we tend to let it go. But then when something really, really amazing happens, we tend to just go, we throw ourselves <laughs> into the amazing, you know, and then just kind of stay there instead of actually being totally curious about the amazing, too. What's really interesting is that we start recognizing the degrees of disaster, pain, negativity, and the degrees of bliss, wonder, openness, you know, all that stuff, they actually don't feel too terribly different at their core. They're just the Big Bang echoing through us in some way. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Oh, sorry, Skip. <laughs> Is it, is, it, is it like really fast? I'm wondering where worry fits in with suffering. <clears throat> worry. I'm worried about someone that I really deeply care for. Right. Which is a kind of suffering, and that person is going through a lot of suffering. Mm -hmm. how, how to deal with that? The most helpful thing we can do when we are worrying about someone is recognizing the roots of that worry. The roots of that worry are our own clinging to the outcome or an outcome that we judge to be beneficial, good, uh, empowering, healing, right? So worry is always about some future event that hasn't happened every time. Every time we worry, it's a projection of the mind, uh, the what-if experience. What if, what if, what if, ah, God, ah, oh. you know, and then we bring that, that into 
the present moment, which colors the way we can communicate with them, and more importantly, the ways that we can actually communicate with the situation within. So when we can actually recognize, oh, that's a future thing that hasn't happened yet, it may, it may not, but uh, this is a fairly worthless uh, and unhelpful engage, engagement of my energies, putting them into worry. So what happens then is we begin to presence ourselves, and the more of a presence we become in the now, the more of a gift we are to the situation. Curiosity too. Exactly. And you will get, if you apply the curiosity to your worry, guess what happens to the worry? You start to unpack it. You start to see that it's not something that you need to cling to. It's hard. It's very hard. Um, but with the, it's, it's much easier to do this practice than it is to actually let worry take over your being. That's really hard. Yeah. One involves hanging on to something that you can't, and the other involves opening a hand that's habitually clutching. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Mm -hmm.